is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, my host, Dan, not Nick. It is final PTO day for him. He will be back. Uh, as of about three hours from now, actually, it sounds like he has a recording set up, Dan, that uh, I was not aware of. Uh, I think he's gone rogue. Look, we said nice things about him at the very end of an episode. He clearly didn't listen all the way through. And because of that, he only heard the the jabs and the, you know, the, the shots we took at him at the beginning of one. And now he's decided he's going to splinter off and form his own version of London is Blue. And uh, we wish him well. We wish him well. Well, good luck choosing a color, sucker, because we got blue on lock legally, which is great. But anyways, brought in Joe Tweez to help us uh, break down the demolishing of Burnley. And as we all pull together to try to relegate them. So Tweeds, welcome back. Not stranger or long lost at all. Yeah, that was that was probably the weakest intro, Brandon, I think you've ever done for me. So I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that as a, a nod of appreciation. But uh, yeah, no, I'm happy to to join today. And yeah, it's it's a nice game to review. I think we've maybe the past couple that I've been on, we haven't necessarily played that well. But I think second half Burnley was was exceptional. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Like even for a person of your talents, like when you're on 47 times a season, like we it's run true, out yeah. of things. <laughs> <laughs> we just hit that one. I mean, I, it is what it is. But uh, shout out to you and Dan who did a breakdown of kind of club hierarchy podcast. You dropped on a Saturday, which is unheard of, uh, but I did listen while cleaning. It was fantastic. So again, if you want to hear about, you know, not the uh, the just low level kind of clamoring, but, you know, maybe looking at uh, the leadership structure of the club and all the different departments to go into it, uh, well worth a listen. So good stuff, you two. Aw, thanks, Brandon Busby. Say nice things. Look at that. Yeah, well, I won't show the text of what you guys called it in-house and and how you propped yourselves up. But anyways, uh, well, look, we're going to be talking <laughs> about the Burnley match review. All right. We're going to be talking about welcome back Reese motherfucking James Tuchel's special stuff, which I can't wait to dig into. And then Kai fine as number nine. So uh, a much more upbeat episode than the post Liverpool. It was good to kind of get two dubs in the past week to drown that one out. So Dan, three-word match review. We need a temp check. See where the people are at. How do, how's it going out there? Are people doing well? People are doing well. People are fine. They are feeling fine after that drubbing of Burnley. And we start off with the athlete with that escalated quickly. A little bit of Anchorman there. Can't get enough of that on this podcast, that's for sure. Someone with a Grand Torino, Clint Eastwood, old man on the porch with an anxiety-free finish, question mark? Marty with the Chelsea more dominant. Mr. Stick with the price going up. Kate with the get bed Burnley. Jason with the uh, Koswitza Hadarach Silva. You had Frank with the real King James. You had JW with the James came in and the wrecking ball gif. And then Grant with the that's for Barnes. I love it. By the way, you said GIF. Did I say GIF on the last podcast? Because in Discord, everyone was freaking out about that word being pronounced incorrectly. Was that on me? It's it's uh, it's not a peanut butter. Okay, calm down. Anyways, uh, tweets. Let's go real wild and start with you. We never do this. Yeah, I I went with a little bit of a Star Wars note here, so I've gone with dramatic music. Jake, you that? The fridge returns. Ooh, and I like it like that. And I know you've been pushing that nickname for him for uh, a long time, so I'm I'm really hoping it starts to stick now that he's back and putting in a uh, performance like that. Uh, Dan, what about you? Well, I, I wish I had four words, but since I don't, I'm going to go with Bad Men Fly. 
because the moon door has been opened and we have kicked Burnley through it back down to the championship where they belong. At least we've done our part of that job and we just need the rest of the league to keep up their end of the bargain. A hundred percent. And I was going uh, big ups on that one and, and Twitter and I said the same thing. Relegate the Clarets. Uh, adios, Burnley. Get out of here, especially when you've manipulated the uh, the season by only playing 20 games and the rest of us are like on 37. But, you know, we'll we'll, we'll play by your rules, apparently. So uh, some quick shout outs, Dan. We have some more five star reviews rolling in, which is is still amazing. Eight and a half years later, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, David K, 1977 from Ireland, and Seminole Zach from the U.S. Leaving wonderful five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done that before, you should go do that now. Or borrow friends or family members or coworkers and leave a five-star review under their account. Very easy to do. And then Spotify, up to 757 five-star reviews there, too. Uh, again, you don't have to have an account. You have to use Spotify, but uh, just figure out a way to log in, leave a five-star review, and go back to using the podcast app of your choice. We really appreciate it. Helps people find the show. Keyword borrow. Do not do anything other than borrow. Um, before we get into this, uh, for the match review, I, you know, you should go, oh, it's Burnley on the 5th of Saturday. No, 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 not yet. All right. We've got a bit of a situation here. All right. So we're calling all level-headed, intelligent fans out there to unite with us on this one. Uh, Adam Newsom tweeting, not sure if it's picked up on TV coverage, but during the show of solidarity for Ukraine here at Turf Moor, Chelsea supporters, which... I don't know if I would call them Chelsea supporters, but people sitting in the away end uh, started up a Roman Abramovich chant, which, let's face it, is pretty stupid and distasteful. End quote. Those are Adam's words, minus the me interjecting the non-supporters part there. Um, And it got to the point, Dan, where poor Thomas Tuchel has to address these people in his post-match, especially quiet stadium, moment of solidarity, putting things that are far more important at the front of society, of TV, of international viewing, and and we just fucking failed it. Well, I would take maybe just a little point with what you said. They are Chelsea supporters. They're Chelsea Way supporters. They went to the ground. They are not representative of the vast majority of Chelsea supporters we know, but they were there to cheer on the Blues, and they decided in a moment of respect for the Ukrainian people, the people who are losing their lives in this conflict, in this war, to chant Roman Abramovich's name. And there's a time and a place to celebrate what Roman has done for the club, the success that he enabled us to achieve. It wasn't in that moment. And I think when you listen to what Thomas Tuchel said, it was basically that. It's not the moment to do this. Listen, if we show solidarity, we show solidarity, we should do it together. We take the knee together. And if an important person from our club or someone else from a club dies, we show them in respect. It's not the moment to give other messages. It's the moment to show respect. We do this because this is what we also uh, we are also as a club. We show respect as a club, and we need for our fans to commit to this minute of applause. At this moment, we do it for Ukraine, and there's no second opinion about the situation there. They have our thoughts and our support. We should stand together as a club. It's not the moment for other messages and I think he handled this as best as he possibly could. I think it sucks that a vocal minority of individuals felt like this was the message to convey in that moment. And I, I mean, I appreciate Thomas Tuchel standing up and giving this answer. And I mean, just hope to hope that we do better next time. Clear as day. There is no second opinion about the situation there. All right, Joe. And someone else tweeted as one of our other journalist friends. They said, hey, minute one to 90 plus stoppage, all you. 
chant for Roman. And we're, that's what we're saying. We're not saying don't show support for Roman. We're saying, hey, pull your head out of the sand. Very obviously not the time. And I think that if you were to get Roman on tape, he would say that's not what he wants either. I think pretty clear where he and the club stand. Yeah, and uh, you know, tribalism is a is a very peculiar thing generally, but in football, it takes on this kind of completely interesting and and weirdly kind of nuanced view that kind of skews what I hope are kind of generally decent people into, as you say, acting in a manner which just really isn't sort of kind of in the moment. It certainly wouldn't reflect the wishes of the of the owner. Um, I mean, what you know, what I've really not liked about this this entire situation is this kind of reduction of of one of the sort of you know the, the biggest tragedies we're sort of watching unfold in in Ukraine at the moment and, and using it as sort of a point scoring exercise a, a way to be sort of tribalistic about your football clubs there are I think as you say alluded to there are much bigger things uh, at play here and that's not downplaying anything else that's, that's happening in the world and not downplaying what, what's happening anywhere in general but there are much bigger things at stake than um, trying to wind up opposition fans or trying to point score whatever it might be and this sort of culture of, as you say, this kind of tribalistic culture on football. You know, we've we've all kind of had our moments as fans, but you know, you need to have a little bit more sense in in terms of of timing and and when and and when things are not appropriate. You know, we've had situations in the past where we've had uh, you know kind of people disrespected and stuff like that, and and, it, and and it's not necessarily a thing to say that it happens across all clubs, but we are very much under the spotlight and very much in focus at the moment as a fan base, as a club. Um, and you know you're simply giving more ammunition to people to come at Chelsea from a, if you're looking at it from a tribalistic angle, but also giving Thomas Tuchel a lot more to do in his press conferences, which is not uh, it's, it's, it's not a pleasant experience for him to to deal with as a manager, which he's doing quite elegantly. Yeah, um, incredibly. Yeah, yeah. Matt Law is actually singing his praises too, which I shouldn't say surprisingly, but like, I mean, this is a well above and beyond his remit. Um, but you know strong people you know in one aspect of life he's obviously bringing that to another aspect and doing so well so anyways um be better that's what we're asking like have some empathy have some awareness uh situation um you're making it really difficult for the rest of us which really is not even the biggest part about it like again people are dying so some perspective please anyways uh it was burnley that this past saturday the 5th of march it was in the premier league at turf moore in case you somehow missed it, Burnley nil, Chelsea four goals coming from Reese James in the 47th minute, Kai Havertz on the double in the 53rd and 55th minute, and then Christian Pulisic with the super sweet cherry on top in the 69th minute. So uh, we're going to go ahead and kick it over to the fifth standout, the only official app from Chelsea FC. Again, we thank them for letting us add this into our podcast. Uh, so if you have not downloaded the app, uh, do play predictor, listen to content. I don't know. Check it out. So let's run it back. Here we go. We're better than that. Lovely way to pass there from Roberts to Lennon. And look who's there, saving a goal. That's basically 1-0 Burnley. Vagos denied by Thiago Silva. His way to the attack. Here's James likewise. This is promising. And he's got himself a bit of yeah. room here. And he's drilled Chelsea in front two minutes after the restart. That hammer right boot of Reese James. That is a perfect start to the second half, and he marks his return to the starting 11 with a much needed goal for himself and for this game. Pulisic. Free head around the back. Oh, it's easy as you like. Kai Havertz nods home. It's 2 0. And suddenly it feels far more like it. Some awful defending from Burnley, didn't it? But it's a, it's a good finish at the far post. 
followed him out then. Back himself here. Puts the brakes on. James is loitering. Here's Angelo Conte coming to join in. Reese James again. No, it must be yeah, three. It is. <laughs> Ten minutes of the second half. It's gone from nil-nil to three-nil. And James and Havertz have been all over it. Just incredible, isn't it? Return to action for Reese James. Oh, Tarkovsky! He's put it on a plate for Christian Pulisic, who scored a turf four again, and it's four. I can't say I'm surprised, to be honest. All right, Dan, uh, heading out of that fun, fun re- reliving of the, f- the, s- the well, I mean, it's a 4 nothing drubbing in 45 minutes, if we're being quite honest. Like, sure, we didn't really talk about anything in the first half. Uh, we had a lineup to get through uh, to, to see how we lined up. couple surprises. Yeah, well, when you think about the fact that it was Edouard Manny between the six, no surprise there. Rudiger, Silva, and Trev Chalaba freshly stitched up, <laughs> able to make a start here, considering that we had a few other players injured. It was uh, great to see him out there as well. Midfielders included Jorginho, Saul, and then a, a left wingback version of Saul, N'Golo Kante, and then Reese James making a Premier League start for the first time in... God, it feels like a long time. Nice. Christian Pulisic, Mason Mount, and Kai Havertz were your attacking trio. Kepasar, Christensen, Kennedy, Ziyech, Lukaku, unused substitutes in this match. Kovacic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Timo Werner all made appearances off the bench. Yeah, it was good to see at least Christensen from a depth perspective back on the bench. Uh, bench. Wow. Uh, that was purely <laughs> accidental. Don't. Don't say anything otherwise. Um, and it's good to see, you know, Kennedy obviously adding some some depth, but going with uh, Saul for left wing back, which I was a little surprised by Tweeds, but if you assume it's Burnley, they're going to defend with all 11 plus Dice in the box. You're kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter. You might as well give a guy who's good with possession. Yeah, I, I think that was probably the only only major surprise. I think it was a question of of when Reese would, would come back into the side, particularly with with Aspilicueta um, kind of out at the moment. But yeah, Saul was a was an interesting selection. Um, actually, I don't know if it was more interesting than watching Loftus-Cheek play wing-back for 20-odd minutes or whatever it was. Um, but Saul definitely, yeah. I mean, he, he added some decent possession. I mean, he, you know, for the, I think the first half, their one major chance came from just, I think, a guy who's used to playing in midfield, not having guys run off the back of him. Um, on that sort of overload that they created. But he also put in, um, and I'll mention it slightly later, in the important XB categorization. Um, he put in an incredible tackle in the second half. Uh, it might have been, actually, yeah, it was the second half, yeah, which uh, was was pretty thunderous. Um, but yeah, I actually thought he was pretty decent. Probably one of his better outings for Chelsea. And as you say, lads, it's Burnley, was was the team talk at half time. So yeah, it, it was Burnley. He played well. Yeah, the stats back that up for sure. Chelsea with 70 Two and a half percent possession. We had 11 shots, five on target to their six shots, only one on target. Um, 14 tackles to their 25, but we did have 15 clearances. So it's not like they weren't dumping the ball in the box to their 13. Uh, we actually only had two corners to their five on offsides apiece, two cautions uh, for them. We conceded seven fouls to 12 for them. So the XG, which is a fun little roller coaster here, Dan, as you can see, Burnley actually uh, leading it um up until we just absolutely started routing them with with goals which is a little surprising to see but if you would have told me that that was the way it was in the first half I kind of would have 
I would have gotten it. Like, I, I could see that happening. How Burnley didn't score was actually a little bit hilarious in the first half. Well, we, uh, <clears throat> we gifted them a few opportunities to try and make something happen. As polite guests, we came with a gift offering for them, and they just rejected the gift. So uh, no harm, no foul there. But it was 0.87 for Burnley, 2.18 XG for Chelsea on, on four actual, which, uh, look, overperforming XG is back. Wingbacks are back. Overperforming XG is back. It's great. It's a good place to be. You know what's funny about XG is that, like, Burnley had a higher XG until our third goal. Like, we were still up 2-0, but on XG they were winning, which, again, it's... Clinical it's, finishing. Yeah. Great it, it finishing. Little, you know, crazy you wanna, chances. It's a stat you want to over overperform for sure. Uh, add up to Joe with the uh, the one random stat saying four Chelsea's four 0 win over Burnley was the biggest buying away team in a Premier League match that was goalless at halftime since Tottenham won four 0 at Aston Villa in December 2012. Fantastic! Um, might want to check it out. Probably a DVD about that one because it's close to a trophy uh, for them. Uh, no Nick, no Npet shithouse more in the match, but we do have a Joe Tweed's XB stat line here, which you kind of hinted at, Joe. Yeah, we have we have three uh, three have made it into the illustrious category uh the world's greatest stat i think it's the one that all the players are concerned about as we as we continue to advertise the expected bodies uh the originator the purveyor of xb the connoisseur of xb reese james uh popped up with two the the kind of stupid pirouette that was so casual it's a dan-esque sort of where he took out two players not a typical reese james you know where he sort of kind of dislocates somebody's shoulder or sort of knocks him into sort of next week it was more of just a sending them completely the wrong way um, and then for anyone who remembers that uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic goal for Ajax, where he kind of dribbled past about 15 people, it felt like, um, I gave him a five expected bodies on the goal because he seemed to trick and jink and, and move away from five people before scoring. So Reese clearly on top. I think he's the, the leader this season in XB. Um, and I gave a little nod to, to Saul there. I think I gave him a quarter, 0.25 XB for that phenomenal tackle in the second half because, again, really unexpected, but also really, really good challenge at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, full return today, which was which is great to see. So, uh, all right, we're gonna take a quick ad break. When we're back, though, all about welcome back Reese and the and the uh, celebratory parade we're gonna throw for him here on the podcast and so much more. So, thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. And we'll be right back. All right, Dan, coming out of the ad break, look. Check it out on Patreon. Uh, you're up to some some big things on there. So just keep an eye on the space. Uh, but the biggest you know, draw there is obviously our Discord community. Uh, I've been there more more recently during the matches uh, to hang out with a very active group of friends, breaking it all down, reacting well, with emotion. I, are you hanging out or are you basically just serving as the spokesperson, the minister of propaganda for any goalkeeper? I... Uh, you know what? I, I have a lane, Dan, as we talked about in that podcast or in that in that discord. We want to talk about your lane. That's fine. But yeah, you know, I kind of have a thing I'm good at. So I talk about goalkeepers occasionally. Uh, but anyways, it's a, it's an amazing community there in discord. Um, and then, Dan, I think we're on our 16,000th week with five pod bangers. And here we go. We might again. try to figure out six. We might try to figure out. Can we manufacture we, uh, another six week, <laughs> six podcast week? I mean, you guys uh, look, did six the, last week, right? You dropped on Saturday. So look, we've got the women's uh, unfortunate Conti Cup match review after uh, losing to Manchester City, which is quite unfortunate. We have a Tinkerman episode breaking down most of February and a little bit of early March here. Uh, I think, obviously, the 
return of Reese James probably changes the complexion a touch there. Uh, Nick is going to be talking to the head of the Chelsea pitch owners in a little bit of a Founders Day special. And then we've got a Norwich match review because that's right, we've got another match coming up on Thursday. And then we've got an Academy Update special with Phil, you know, checking in on what's going on with the, the dev team, the U18s, figuring out how things are going in Neil Bass Kingdom. But we'll figure that out. So good to go. Yeah, so long story short, it's uh, going to be a lot of me on the podcast feed this week, so you're welcome. Just want to say that in advance. Uh, but here we go. Topic one, welcome back, Reese. Guess who's back and firing? Uh, Abdullah, friend of the pod, obviously on the Blue Royalty, he tweeted, Reese James is literally 50% of the reason Chelsea were playing like UCL champions uh, league contenders. Oh, we needed him back. This is so good at taking up smart spaces in the final third, and his delivery is insanely good. To which I very uh, intelligently said, Hey, a smart person said a smart thing. I should add on top of it. Tweeds, guess who the other 50% is that we're missing? Ben Chilwell. Duh. For, why are the wingbacks so important to this side? Or is it like Reese is just such a good footballer, to Abdullah's point? the spaces he takes up and the way he gets involved is just that next level. I mean, how do you kind of break down why Reese is so damn valuable for this team? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. Um, I think certainly with, with both wingbacks, the, the sort of the different, I suppose, sort of tactical, I suppose, deployments that Tuchel has at his hand there, it, it gives him a lot more flexibility. But if we're looking at Reese in particular, I think it's to do with ball progression. Um, Certainly both in, in terms of the, the runs that Reese makes, there was a couple actually of times where he made that overlapping run and, and people weren't finding him with, with the pass. But his ability to, to maintain the width, I've spoken about this a lot recently where, you know, we're playing teams who will defend deep against us. So, you know, you're not necessarily able to stretch them vertically to get you know balls in behind for guys like Werner and, and Lukaku. So you have to make as much use of the width of the pitch as possible and try to make the pitch as big as possible. And I think Reese really enables you to, to do that. He's such a threat, obviously, with, with wide delivery, um, but such an incredibly technically gifted player that he can step into those kind of number 10 pockets of space and allow forwards to be a little bit more aggressive and, and actually push further up the pitch. So I think it's really sort of the virtue of, of how he allows the team to just be more aggressive in terms of their positioning. Um, also, the to say, the, the kind of distribution aspect that he brings. Um, and the other thing that I've been talking about a lot recently particularly on on the thinker man is that his ability to retain the ball in the final third which is, is one of my big criticisms of the front three recently is the the sort of quick losses of possession he gives you the option to uh you know play wide to sort of keep the ball keep the pressure on particularly him and trev chalo are very good at that on that right hand side um and then you just factor in the just sort of the match winning quality that he has he's got a great shot on him um seems to be influencing games more and more he's Probably one of the better players are picking out people with a cross, whether it's a, a cutback or a low-driven cross or just crossing in general. So you've got that creative aspect that obviously, as much as Asbury Lequeta has been a very decent deputy in, in Reese's sort of injury, um, you can notice the quality that James brings from a, from an attacking perspective. And then very rarely do we see him, you know, people don't tend to kind of go 1v1 versus him defensively or they don't try and target that side as much. And I think it just completely revolutionizes that right-hand side. He reminds me, a little bit of, uh, of of kind of Marcelo's influence at Real Madrid on the left-hand side, where he is just that all-encompassing. He's like a box-to-box right-hand side player. It's it's very difficult to pigeonhole him to calling him just a wing-back because we, we see him tuck in and play centre-back. We see him playing sort of as more as a full-back. He steps into midfield. He's a winger. He's a number 10. He plays so many positions during a game. Um, but I think you're right, Brandon. I think it does come down to the fact that he has so much technical quality. Um, and he's obviously such a physical player as well. He's, he's the complete 
player. And I think the more that I look at him, certainly when we missed him, um, I just, I think I've, I've grown to appreciate what he offers a lot more. Um, but yeah, fantastic player. And I think, again, just gives Tuchel so much more freedom and probably his teammates as well, the confidence to, to play to him play to him, and they know that something is, is going to happen when, he, when he's in possession or near the ball. I mean, Dan, he made his goal out of nothing, right? Like, yeah, he was inside the box, right? Which is a great place to be with the ball at your feet. But there's still at least three defenders around him. And he gave him the old triple cutback. And then just with great technique, uh, you know, knee over the ball, struck it low and hard to the side netting. Nick Pope, um, you know, not having a chance. But again, like he just, he was at a standstill, got himself a half a yard of space, threaded it through. And that was the goal. I mean, it, I guess he, like he made something out of nothing is the way I looked at it, which is, it was kind of funny because in the first half, we couldn't find an ounce of space. Second half, he comes out and was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll just do it. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, he went from uh, being a part of the show to running the show. And uh, look, uh, Burnley decided to fuck around. Uh, fuck around, and they found out what happened when they gave Reese James just a little bit of extra time on the ball. And the stats, you know, 100% tackles won, 100% long balls completed, 87% pass accuracy, 76 touches, 15 final third passes completed, 6 out of 8 duels won, 5 ball recoveries, 2 fouls drawn, 2 shots, 1 chance created, 1 goal, 1 assist in 74 minutes and so thankful that Thomas Ducal said you know what we've got this game on lock at this point I'm just gonna pull Reese James out make sure that he's healthy so we can keep this bit of magic this bit of secret sauce and ensure that we have it for the remainder of the campaign because the difference when Reese James is available on that right hand side uh you know so you think about it our right Burnley's left uh, that is where they've conceded uh, some of the most goals and uh look we took advantage so uh fantastic uh bye bye burnley and uh thank you for making that happen reese like it makes me love you even more like i i don't like burnley i don't like them being in the premier league reese helped vanquish them Just, you know give them a, give them a statue now let's do it oh, i mean a little, little ambitious but uh on the path i hope i don't, I don't know i don't know i mean burnley <laughs> okay. is just just terrible come on should we i mean we could build a statue that we relegated burnley i mean i'm down with that um, look, obviously we need to keep him healthy. He did get, um, you know, studs raked down the back, the backside of his, of his Achilles there. So not great. He might've milked it a little bit, but I mean, I was holding my breath. I was like, please, this is, we don't want to lose him already. Tuchel taking him off in the 70th minute once, uh, it was all done and dusted. So Tuchel, you know, had some quotes there from post-match said, quote, we missed him for such a long time that we almost got used to it. I think it was like nine weeks and we played something like 25 matches in that time. We were constantly trying to find solutions and we did find solutions as a team and we managed to win games and even trophies in this period. But once he's back and plays three times and first time from the beginning, you see what we missed. Huge quality. And it's very impressive how decisive he is in training and in the games. These positions are very important positions if you play with this structure. And it's the same on the left side. <clears throat> Chilwell. So it puts things into perspective when you see what we missed. And I'm very happy that he came back like this, end quote. Uh, Dan, I mean, obviously, uh, the wingback roles are, are key, key cogs in the Tuchel kind of tactical master plan. Um, we'll have to see, like I said, as we had no rest, right? We have another four matches in two weeks or whatever it is. Um, you're just going to kind of have to manage his fitness till we feel like he's at a hundred percent, but any chance you get to play Reese, I mean, he's, he's first name on the team, team sheet right now. Yeah. Even if you need to manage him a little bit in terms of the minutes and trying to find someone to come in for 15, I mean, we know that 
as P was out of this match due to injury illness, you have you know Trev Chalaba who gave another strong performance after again uh, basically getting his uh, leg torn open uh, and having to be, have it stitched back up. I just you know there are a couple people I would say who are first on the team sheet, but from like a defensive standpoint, when you think about you know Rudiger Silva. Reese are probably those three as you think about like a back five that are uh, definitely going to be important for the remainder of this season and what he does for the attack you know he is definitely a two-way player um you know you think about like the American football uh, Joe where you have people who play on offense and on defense you know Reese is one of those few um who I think offers more defensively uh than someone like uh Trent uh but also can you know completely change the game from an attacking perspective as well yeah, and I think in a way, and again, this is a bit of a peculiar thing to say, but I think he he actually gives Tuchel an enormous problem tactically because with and without him, it's almost like we're two entirely different football teams. And, you know, the one thing that I, I've been saying for a very long time is is trying to coach sort of one style of play, how we build up, sort of the patterns of play, etc. When it's it's so, I'm not saying it's dependent on Reese, but he has such a, a different or almost like a transformative effect on that entire right-hand side of the pitch that if you're playing with him, then it allows you to do so many more things and, and be a lot more creative of your movements and, and just generally the, the the quality that you have going forward. Obviously, the defensive stuff, I think he is, actually, so I think he's a much better uh, defender than, than Alexander-Arnold is at this point in time. Um but again, yeah, if if he is out, and I appreciate certainly that Tuchel was trying to manage his his workload, but if he if he dips out of the team again, or if he you know, hopefully doesn't get injured, but you're back to again having to almost recoach the the team in the patterns of play. So it's it's a very interesting prospect because, as you say, he's yeah he's such a revolutionary part of that right hand side, and I, I love that combination of I think Trev and him are both very technically gifted players, they're good passers. Um, obviously both great athletes they give you a lot of quality on that right hand side and maybe without them or certainly without Reese James in particular um, you go to a, a less dynamic version of Chelsea the kind that we've seen obviously still managed to win games over the past couple of weeks and, and the months that he's been out um, but that word dynamism that that is what I associate with Reese James that is what he brings to this this side and he's almost a catalyst for an entire half of a pitch which as you say, that two-way player analogy, basketball, football, American football, whatever you want to look at it as, he is the, the, the perfect example of that in, in the modern game. Multi, multifunctional player who can do lots of things at an incredibly high level and has the, the physical tools to back it up. He is, you know, possibly, again, this is maybe verging on hyperbole here, but he might be one of the best players that we've produced from Cobham. Um, I think, you know, hopefully pushing towards the end of his career, he's in the conversation with JT. Um, but from a technical standpoint, from a you know just from a quality standpoint, he has to be up there at the moment as one of the best we produced. He's definitely well well on his way. A lot of people are even asking about captain material, but hey, we got Dave. All right, we got time. Reese is going to be around for a long, long time, which is good. So uh, as we move on to the second topic, uh, Tuchel's quote unquote special stuff. Uh, Dan, care to elaborate? Maybe clarify here because I think this could go Space a lot jam. of different ways. Space Jam, remember? Michael's secret stuff where he gives him the water bottle that's really just water. I, I do. I just wanted to make sure that you had a chance to clarify. So uh, <laughs> halftime magic from the German gaffer, which it does. You know, this is probably, I mean, about as close to playing the Monstars as you get, right, with Burnley. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I just can imagine the uh, the tall, uh, stout, and uh, generally uh, blockheadedness of the Burnley defense of uh, nine plus bodies 
is uh, yeah, that, that, that's actually pretty accurate when you consider the fact that we uh, we do have some more um, diminutive individuals on our roster, uh, kind of comparatively speaking. Uh, look, it was uh, a bit of a kind of perfect transition, perfect pitch. You know, when you look at the comments that Tuchel had afterwards, because uh, I, I, I asked the question, like, what did he say? <laughs> like, does anybody have a feed into the room? Because we need to understand exactly what he said to really change this around. And uh, he said it's it was very calm. We just reminded everybody what we wanted to do, reminded everybody where the spaces are, where we want to find the acceleration, where we need to step up. It was clear that front. We need to ask questions, make life more difficult for the back four. The goal then opened up the game, gave us more relief and more confidence, and then our attacks were more fluid and decisive. On the one hand, it was very difficult because the pitch was so dry. Uh, it was very difficult to accelerate the game, and the ball got stuck between our legs, and once you pass, it's already second too late, and the space is already closed. You know, put it a switch in tactics, giving Golo or NG uh, a bit more space with the two strikers on the pitch and the team very well. And we kept on believing and had a fantastic second half with a brilliant result. And, you know, I think that was the biggest part of it was how he configured, let Mason drop a little bit deeper, kind of to, to link the play, letting Golo get a little further forward. And, you know, I think in general, Joe, when you look at where the best part of that kind of change happened by really getting to more of like a a three-person midfield with Jorginho, Mount, and Conte that really allowed us to actually get the ball distributed a little bit quicker, get the ball out to the flanks, and get it kind of, you know, not ratchet, ratcheting it in to the box to give somebody an opportunity to go after it. Yeah, the the midfield configuration point is an interesting one, Dan, and I, I certainly felt first half one of the, the big reasons we were struggling was that I think Jorginho and Kante were struggling to play around Burnley's press. They were struggling to play through the press, and, and certainly when it was come to receiving balls from from the the centre backs, you know, it was it was quite painful at times. There weren't passing lanes being made available. They weren't making the right angles, etc. And I think that sort of flat configuration that we saw with with the pivot sometimes can lead to a little bit of stagnation in terms of build up. Particularly if, if I thought Burnley pressed, they pressed really well first off. I actually felt they played pretty well from a defensive standpoint. But second half, um, yeah, the, the sort of the, the the kind of dropping of of Mount into more of that position that I think we saw him play too cool last season. Um, two points really. I, I want to talk about a little bit about Christian and a little bit about Mason here. I don't like Mason Mount playing as a traditional kind of forward. I think his goals and his assist numbers, his his general numbers or output has improved this season. But he, for me, is at his most effective when he drops into those kind of deeper areas and plays like in a very aggressive um, sort of number eight central midfielder. And Christian is kind of the, the opposite for me. I think when he drops deeper, he's not as effective. But when you see him around the penalty area, that for me, that that's where they have to try and maximise his his sort of utility to the team. Obviously, the, the cross for the goal was, was absolutely superb. But the run before he scored his goal, the actual run, the checking of the run, the ability to find space in the penalty area, that, that for me, that is him at his best around the penalty area, being able to use his quick feet and his creativity um, and his great range of passing as well. He's got such a good cross, but we just don't see it often enough. I'd rather him focus his play there, Mason a little bit deeper. And in many ways, that sort of polar movement or polarizing movement of Pulisic being closer to goal, Mason being deeper from goal. Um, I thought Havertz had a strong game in general, sort of linking everything together. But that really created the, the sort of pockets of space that we we needed to, to score. Um, and yeah, Kante not playing as sort of horizontally or per, you know absolutely flat, uh, parallel to, to Jorginho in that kind of line in midfield as well was 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 certainly a, a huge improvement there. And I think again, when you factor in the slightly more passing triangles were there, some more natural triangles when you play a, a three in midfield. Um, and then Reese James obviously just sort of took his performance up two, three gears. 
Um, that combination, you know, for the for the, the Havertz header that Pulisic put in, lovely bit of build-up play, switch to the right, great link between Reese and, and Christian, fantastic cross for the goal. Um, th- that that's where these players have got to be, and I think sometimes the shape that we play, um, you know, particularly with Mason almost playing as a right winger and being for me too far up, Christian being too deep. I'd rather them swap and have Christian closer to goal because he's so much more effective there. He's probably one of the best finishes we've got. He's got some of the best movement in the penalty area that we have in the club. Um, and, you know, the goal, yeah, okay, the burn defender was an absolutely incredible assist and he should get the assist for that because um, it was fantastic pass to him. But the, the movement to get there, the movement before that, the checking of the run, you know, those are things I want to see from him. And I think his his goal was the reward for particularly a very, very strong second half. So both of them, too, I think were, were very influential. Kante is sort of the the line, uh, sort of uh, or the not playing as, as, as parallel to Jorginho was a huge help as well. Um, but yeah, definitely there were two very, very influential factors in, in what was the second half. And obviously Kai Havertz is starting to find a bit of form now, which is, is obviously uh, hugely influencing how we play. We can counter-press with him at the top of the team. We can press, we can actually... Um, retain possession when the ball was going into him and he seems to be finding his personality a bit more now great head of it was a really really sensational header for the goal uh, the second one I, I'm not sure entirely he knew much about it apart from running into it and tripping over it um, but generally great performance and I think second half that attack the front three um, looked a lot more fluid and I think they're in more, slightly more natural areas to them so that is something that I hope Tuchel has seen particularly Christian because you know, there's a lot of rumours around and cusp of it. He may be looking to move on in the summer and teams are interested in him. This version of him, the one that is aggressive, wants to score, wants to create, wants to be a final third player. That's that's the player that I want to see on a weekly basis. Having him drop into midfield and then dribble, that, that's not for me his game. Keep him close to the goal. Let him have the ability to influence the game there. Combine with players like Reese, etc., let him cross the ball a bit more. He's obviously got a fantastic cross in him. Um, make those runs, be the finisher player that we need. I still see personally, and finishing up here, I do see him as having a ability to be like a Mohamed Salah kind of wide player who scores and, and gets assists, but he's mostly a, a really kind of, almost like a wide striker. I think that that is where you're going to get the best out of him. I tell you what, I think it'll be interesting to see the evolution of Mason just in general, you know, because he's not going to go anywhere for a long time, knock on wood. Um, and if he can kind of settle in in the, in a little bit of a, I wouldn't say deeper, but maybe more of like a box to box type role in the midfield because, you know, his ability to hit a pass and a free kick we've seen has been fantastic with his loans at Derby and Batessa. And he just hasn't been put in a situation to do that. Again, he's so versatile, but um, I'd love to see if he could kind of slot back in, especially if we ever went to a three in the middle. You know, I think he could do really well um, because to your point, Kai looks fluid up top. And if you're going to put players like Pulisic around him uh, or, you know, maybe even a, a three, five, two, you know, a couple different options. It just shows that Kai needs to be central. Uh, and he does a lot with his movement off the ball that we even to open up space for other players, I think. So really, really yeah. excited to see how they're kind of like gelling. And again, some consistency, you know, before we had all the injuries in attack, so we weren't able to put any kind of run together. All of a sudden it looks like the combination of Mason Kai and Christian seem to be the most potent at this point in time. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got some other matches we'll have to see. You know, we've seen some really good performance out of Ziyech. It's not like you're going to write him off. Timo still, you know, getting assists uh, against the the juggernauts of Luton Town uh, and some things like that. But, no, I only kid. Like, it was, it, was an, it was a fantastic ball. He got his goal and assist. So, you know, you would like to think that he could jump in and get in the mix as well. Um, but Tuchel making extremely positive changes and uh, and getting it in. 
Uh, third one up is Kai Fine is number nine, which is right because uh, Kai Havertz leading the line for Chelsea um, is a pretty big headache for Thomas Tuchel. Well, maybe not really, Dan. Maybe a bigger headache for Marina, knowing that we dropped 97 million biggins on Lukaku. But it seems like Kai might be the better option right now, which I think today was a good test because you would almost think a big body against Burnley's big bodies would be a better match. But we still found a way with Kai. Well, the benefit of the the lateral play that Kai Havertz provides in terms of pulling players out of out of position, creating spaces for others to run into, creating an opportunity for overloads, the ability to get the ball, kind of play it off. I, I mean, he is finding a way to be more impactful, and you know, so I kind of pulled out just the some of the stats for him. If you look at just the Premier League, uh, he is now uh, just two goal contributions away from matching the entirety in that he had in the Premier League last season at about 1,500 minutes. He's about 400 minutes less than that right now. And so you would imagine, with the amount of matches still left, that he will exceed that number. And if he can find this form, continue to find a goal or assist maybe every game or every other game for the remainder, he's going to get close to having a double-digit goal and assist contribution just in the league. And that's a really positive trend line. I know that we seemingly bought more Lukaku more as the fact that, like, even Havertz wasn't having or finding great success outside of maybe a couple of key, and very one pivotal key goal of last season. But this mobility, this movement, this ability to work and kind of combine really well with others, whether that's with Christian up top, whether that's with, with Ziyech, this is something that is going to continue to give other teams problems because he does have a level of movement, a level of ability to you know score with, with the head, score with the feet. And I think in that regard, Joe, when you look at what he's able to offer, I feel like he's more prototypically the type of player that Thomas Tuchel would want to center an attack around because of the other elements he offers beyond just being able to score. Yeah, and I think certainly going forward, um, you know, one of the things that I was looking at for Tuchel, certainly over the remainder of the season, was to, I think as, as you know, it's been alluded to here from from both yourself and, and Brandon, that consistency in uh, some sort of selection of the attack, whether that is the personnel grouping, positions, whatever it's going to be. But it was certainly trying to make a decision on whether Lukaku or Havertz was going to be the, the guy going forward. And yes, there may be circumstances where you want to play sort of either or. But to my point about trying to still kind of build that play style, trying to build that sort of whole kind of methodology behind attacking play, certainly um, what you get out of Havertz and what you get out of Lukaku are two entirely different things. And yes, looking beyond sort of mini goals and assists and, and, and that as a sort of metric that people seem to be obsessed by tracking forward play with, I think with Havertz, it's certainly, it's the counter-pressing stuff, it's the pressing, it's the defensive work as well. Uh, Tuchel is very clearly, and I think certainly the structure of the team benefits enormously from his ability to to press and to be athletic and to be able to run for 90 minutes and do that work off the off the ball. Um, what we are seeing more recently, I think again, is his ability to play that number nine role, to drop into pockets, to sort of be that kind of Firmino-style player. Um, but if he starts again adding goals and assists to his his repertoire, um, I still think he's the guy that I'd look to I'd look to build around. Um, I think you know his combination play certainly with with the guys he was playing with against Burnley was was certainly looking uh, a lot sharper than what it has sort of at any point in the season with with other combinations. Um, 
And again, I think, you know, second half in particular, um, with that sort of slight revisions and, and focus for, for CP to be closer to him and Mason to drop slightly deeper, almost Christian playing as kind of a support striker left and right, popping up in different areas. Um, you know, Burnley, who I think I'm right in saying had only conceded 10 Premier League goals at Turf Moor all season before we played them. Um, so they're obviously a very good defensive outfit, just didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, and having that ability to, to drift horizontal, to drop into deeper pockets, but also now getting into the area that, the, you know, the little bit of space that he created himself for the goal on the header, um, obviously the tapping as well. Those are the things that you want to see from him if he's going to be the number nine. Um, but his all-round game, I think, just allows Chelsea to play at a much higher level than Lukaku. Um, even if Lukaku is, is the guy who has the goal-scoring uh, sort of pedigree behind him, certainly at Serie A and, and, and some clubs in England, obviously not United included. Um, but I think Havertz at this point makes the team tick. Um, I think he lit, he sort of knits the the overall kind of attacking structure better. Um, and I think as we saw with the Champions League success, this this is a team that is built on the foundations that the the sort of the sum is greater than the than the individual parts. So I think to that kind of philosophy. Um, Havertz gives so much more to, to the team than, than Lukaku does and, and for me would be the, the person I would look to, to be the, the main guy for the remainder of the season just because I just think he has a greater effect on the game uh, certainly if this is a, an, as you say a trending uh, or more of a consistent performance from him it's, it's difficult to make the argument that going in a different direction without the pressing without the, all the other work that he's doing Chelsea are in a better position so I think it's going to be Havertz going forward well, we'll have to see uh, as Squawka tweeting, no player has scored more goals for Chelsea since Thomas Tuchel took charge than Kai Havertz with 13. King Kai at the double crown emoji. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. Um, definitely, I can understand why a lot of people are leaning that way, but it wasn't that long ago. Dan, I'm old enough to remember when someone put a really long uh, Twitter thread together of stills about how uh, Chelsea weren't feeding Lukaku the ball enough and then it was all these other players fault and then had the audacity uh, to take a pot shot at Kai for how poor he's been so um, how quickly the turntables have turned my friend well you have Norwich coming up midweek you've got Slaughter. Newcastle next weekend and then you have Lille and you have Middlesbrough before the end uh, before the international break you would imagine Havertz probably starts, I would imagine, Joe, probably both of the Premier League games, and you might try to see if you can't use Lukaku in the Lille match where we have a two-goal advantage and maybe against Middlesbrough. Or is that where you're kind of thinking, like trying to continue to cement the league position, particularly as you start to see a few of the, the tightening rather of the, the top of the table? Yeah, um, I think you know having Arsenal's annoying kind of run of form and if they keep winning their games, they are quite close to us. Um, I still think we would have to go some way in terms of terrible performances and runs of form and injuries to drop out of the top four entirely. But I think we are comfortably, I think, the third best team in the country at the moment. Um, if we're looking at maybe head to head, sort of in, in individual matches, I actually think we're quite well matched with City and Liverpool when we play them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm looking really at cementing that league position again. You know, for for the perspective, new owners coming in for the, the transfer business that club wants to do in the summer. Champions League football is is absolutely paramount. Um, and I yeah, I would give Lukaku. Uh, I would give him the FA Cup games. Again, it feels really stupid to talk about a 100 million pound signing like he is sort of the under 18 academy protege. But uh, yeah, give him sort of the FA Cup minutes and, and potentially the, the the Lille game as well. I, I think there tends to be a little bit more. 
uh, sort of space and time and, and less demands on him in Europe. Um, but I would certainly be giving Havertz the the, the kind of the, the blue chip games. So yeah, I'd be, be giving him sort of the prominent ones. Uh, especially with um, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday matches, there's probably going to be a little of like squad A, squad B going into those. So we'll have to see how, how Tuchel navigates them. But I mean, Norwich, you, if you're a striker, you want to play. They have a negative 42 goal difference, right? Like, and they're not even have Billy G as well. So uh, I'll be licking my chops at that one if I if I were a striker in that one. Uh, Dan of the match already. Man, we're just cruising through this one. Four goals, four choices. Make your selection now was the call to action. And how did people do? Well, it was no surprise that the Sanford Fridge himself, Reese James, with 71% of the total. Not too far behind, but a pretty distant second, was Kai Havertz at 20%, Pulisic with 7%, and O. Thiago Silva uh, with a very strong performance that we did not uh, talk about, particularly in the first half, with 3% of the total. It's kind of because of his own fault, Tweeds. Like, we've just become so reliant on him and that our expectations are kind of like Angola, where you're just like, well, yeah, he should clear it off the line and he should cover our ass. Like, that. that's just what Thiago does. It's, it is strange to say that, you know, a, what is he, 37, 38, 38-year-old player, whatever he is, is above and away, I think, Chelsea's best defender this season. Um, most consistent, most reliable. And at times, certainly, you know, Burnley, they weren't, they didn't have us under siege, but, you know, you get those sort of nervy moments as a Chelsea fan where you're seeing lots of set pieces and corners and obviously the clearance off the line. But I, I think he has just a way of of settling down. I was around him. Um, you know, you always see him communicating with with everyone in that team. And it's becoming the norm now that he he's at absolute worst, a 7 out of 10, um, which is just an incredibly ridiculous thing to say about somebody his age who has come in um, you know, what is meant to be the twilight of, of his career. And he has had this sort of renaissance in the most physically demanding league in the world, um, playing a position where he's playing against some of the quickest, the most aggressive, the, the most technically gifted players in world football and just making it look like a cakewalk every single week. Um, I felt, you know, first half, I think Thiago said was man of the match, but with the, the attacking play in the second half, I think others sort of overtook him. But again, you know, an absolutely ridiculous performance from him. And I think at the moment, quite early to say he's probably my candidate for player of the year as it stands depending how things pan out but I think for me he is the uh he is the front runner that I see in that award at the moment I just think he's been so consistently good and he's had some really really high level uh, matches particularly against better opponents which is again always the hallmark of a, a top tier player uh again I love the seasons when we're not trying to be like yeah I guess we give it to Kovacic or I guess we give it to William and it's like no who do we who are we going to give this to? Like we've got like three, four or five contenders, uh, much more enjoyable for obvious reasons. Um, some of the other matches around the league, uh, a bit of an interesting one. We're technically on match day 28 of 38, but uh, we're also about to play match day 19, 20, 21 and 30, by the way. So uh, this league is all over the place, but Leicester City kicking it off, beating Leeds uh, one nothing again, new American in charge of Leeds, Jesse Marsh. So, um, he talk about being under scrutiny, uh, leads taking the hot seat real quick on that one, hiring an American. How could they do that? Uh, did you see Dan that he even said that Ted Lasso probably hasn't helped him get jobs? <laughs> I, I, I did not, but, uh, that is quite the, uh, the negative effect of the, uh, Emmy award-winning show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He definitely called that out. Um, then we had Chelsea beating Burnley 4-0. Villa smashing Southampton 4-0. A uh, bit of a surprise there. Brentford, uh, well, beating up on the little guys, Norwich 3-1. Uh, 
Uh, Newcastle winning 2-1 against Brighton, nervily. Uh, tweeds, Eddie Howe getting roasted. Uh, actually, quite clever journalism, not even roasting, asking if he was concerned uh, that Chelsea are up for sale after Saudi Arabia, the owners of their club, are attacking their neighbors. And he, he did not want to get into that. It was a very awkward time for poor Eddie. Yeah, and I think to my my very early point about not sort of trying to reduce this to sort of a point scoring exercise among amongst fans, this, you know, if we're going to look at certainly Abramovich's source of wealth and what he has or hasn't done, the possibility that no real Premier League owner is going to own their club in six months' time is is quite realistic, you know. And if we're going even in into more depth, I think Bournemouth are owned by an oligarch in the championship. So I mean, do we draw the line because Chelsea are successful? Um, or, or are we actually sort of looking at other clubs, Manchester City, you know, uh, Newcastle being too prime people that other owners as well have, you know, the Glazers have got incredibly dubious manner in which they, they sourced a lot of their wealth around um, CLOs and the, and the 2008 market crash, all this sorts of stuff, which is all really, really grubby. But, you know, kind of where, where do you draw the line? So, uh, you know, I think the journalists, as you say, uh, I've not seen a manager get that badly baited by a journalist in a very long period of time. It was an incredible setup question. And then, and then obviously the follow-up, which, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about other clubs. Well, you can talk about your own then, um, which is kind of the line of questioning. Um, but it, it, it puts managers and coaches in, in a very, very uncomfortable position to have to defend or speak about geopolitical situations, which they are obviously hugely unqualified for. And, you know, just to echo something earlier and maybe sort of a final point for me, the way Thomas Tuchel has handled the questioning, the general kind of atmosphere around the club, um, to hear that, you know, the club was being sold like an hour before kickoff in an FA Cup game, um, that performance today, what he has done um, in relation to, to lines of questioning in the media, which for me have gone well overboard in terms of trying to get a, a soundbite out of him. Um, you know, if, if you're a prospective new owner and you aren't looking at how sort of politically aware and just how intelligent and classy that this guy is who's leading the club um, and you make any sort of moves to to get rid of him I will you know march on Stanford Bridge with everybody to try and keep circle that he is such an asset to the club um, he's being put in a really difficult position through through no fault of his own and I think the way he has dealt with with everything coming his way again not to sort of demean the situation that that, that is causing this but I just think his personal conduct um, the empathy that he's shown just the general classiness of his tone and, and the sincerity with, with which he handles things is, is incredible to see in contrast to Eddie Howe getting one difficult question which as you say you know may, may become the norm if, if, if it's open season on oligarchs and open season on owners then there are a lot of teams in the Premier League who are going to be uh, having to to see uh, press officers, maybe field questions or whatever it might be before they're asked. It's it's getting to that point now where it's it's it can't just be one; it has to be one and, and everyone else who who is in a similar boat. Right, and I, uh, you know, we've all had a lot of group texts and things. And I think this one's okay to talk about. It's like there's there's really no great billionaires out there, right? They had to leverage something yeah. to gain massive wealth, and and it's not a Newcastle, you know, thing. Uh, there are many. Uh, billionaires and, you know, people that if you really wanted to pick every single one apart, you probably could. And so it's kind of like, what is the level of appetite that apparently fans are willing to give? Because right now, uh, Chelsea fans are taking a massive amount of stick and we're, you know, it's obviously because the fact that Russia invaded Ukraine, um, but like what's next. Right. And I think that Eddie Howe kind of got a wake up call because that's why he took the job because there's massive amount of resources for him to work with. So well, when you when you see people who are trying to spin a narrative around uh, Vice, who is one of the like 
reported individuals interested in purchasing Chelsea and talking about the nobility of being involved like in the medical field and making massive profits off of selling yeah. <laughs> medical equipment. Yeah. I don't know if that's the type of like plurality we're trying to kind of push forward. Like, but again, there's usually not good billionaires. Uh, and so we should just kind of every, there's a spectrum though of ill intent and, uh, you know, we should just look to to see how they can uh, invest in the club appropriately and uh, do good works as best they can. And there's a fit and proper test, and you know that should continue to evolve <laughs> and be be implemented in a way to try to ensure that moving forward, stewards are of a level that are going to be uh, kind of the right owners for a club and do the right things with the the institution when they have it. Um, shout out to. Um uh, 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 what is the football business podcast wow. that I can't come up with off the top of my head right now that I listen to? The Price of Football uh, with Kieran McGuire and Kevin Day. Uh, they did have a segment about um, kind of Chelsea and rain and, and some things like that. So uh, it was interesting. Again, they don't get into politics. They don't get into actually much football. It's purely the economics and business side of it. So go check it out. Uh, if you're in our discord, I put it in the Chelsea general, uh, thread there. So anyways, there's actually more results before we got completely, uh, <laughs> off on a tangent, uh, palace, uh, mopping up wolves two nil. Uh, so it's a bit of a surprise. Liverpool, uh, struggling against West Ham. Um, VAR got away with one. The VAR pool trending. <sighs> yeah. uh, you tell me why. Uh, but they won one nil. Uh, Watford uh, putting up a fight against Arsenal, but losing three to two. And Man City whooping Man United four to one. And then we still have Tottenham and Everton to play on Monday. So, I mean, that's how it went. Tweeds, you assume that you know Liverpool getting more shakes uh, with VAR. Um, Man United getting drubbed by City is great for our top four kind of battle. Um, so I, overall, probably a pretty decent weekend if you got to pick the the results as a Chelsea fan. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking at the the fifth place team at the moment, if you're, if you're hoping or, you know, you're kind of assuming that Chelsea are going to be a top four team, that's quite a significant gap now to Manchester United and, and also to, to West Ham after their losses. So you're feeling slightly more secure there. Obviously, you want to finish above Arsenal and you want to try and close the gap as much as possible on, on Liverpool and City above them. Um, but yeah, that's such a, a typical West Ham game where against Chelsea, every single one of those chances would go in the back of the net that they had. Um, and yet, you know, the, the, the they had what, what, four or five, it felt like, but the sort of two towards the end of the game, I think Lanzini had one, I think Antonio had a, an opportunity as well. Um, you know, these are chances that they would 1 million percent score against Chelsea just because, you know, we are their World Cup. Um and yeah, it, it it's tricky to see Liverpool continue to get the rub of the green and, you know, the side-by-side -side of Lukaku's offside versus, um, who was it? Um, was it Mane for, for Liverpool? Yeah. It just, I mean, it feels just kind of arbitrary at this point that there is, you know, in each game, there is somebody who, who is still subjectively placing these, these lines to sort of make a very, um, feel, still feels quite a crude assessment at 30 frames per second to see when the ball has actually left their foot. I mean, it's so for me, still very subjective. Um, and the fact that they seem to benefit a lot from these calls and it's the same guy. Um, I saw that somebody, Darren England, same, same VAR official who, yeah. uh, disallowed, was it disallowed ours and then, and then allowed their goal for, I mean, it's exactly the same thing, same referee. It, it looks to be a little bit, uh, dodgy. Um, I'm not going to get into any sort of libel issues there, but yeah, it looks, it looks a bit peculiar. I'll use that terminology instead. Um, 
but yeah, that, that was a shame. And the only other thing to point out, I think, is uh, it's nice to see Michael Elise playing well in the Premier League for, for Palace. Um, another ex-Cobham Academy kid released a little bit early, um, you know, has gone on and had great success in the Championship and now is seemingly finding his feet in, in the Premier League. So again, our sort of 60, I don't know if it's even six degrees of separation to Cobham now, it might even be two at this point. So every Premier League team seems to have something to do with Cobham um, and that, that seems to be continuing as well. But yeah, I think we're in a strong position in the league and, and hopefully that is something we can cement and, and look to push on in, in Europe because I still think we have a very, very significant chance of doing damage in, in the Champions League this season. Yeah, well, um, as the table stands, um, as you would imagine, Man City's still on top uh, by a bit of a ways. 28 matches played, 69 points, plus 50 goal difference. Uh, Liverpool, and by the way, City benefiting from VAR as well. Um, yeah. like VAR isn't the problem. It's the application and the operator. VAR, we've VAR always is, a tool, known that. is a good tool. I know. Yeah. It's, it bears repeating because people like to paint it as VAR is the issue. VAR is not the issue because we've seen it work well in other leagues and in other competitions. It is purely an issue within the Premier League, most, you know, from our at least optic view. So Liverpool in second, also benefactors, but they've only played 27 matches on 63 points. So again, they're assuming they get the three points in hand. It's only a three point match or a difference between them. They're at plus 51 goal difference. So, you know, pretty tight between those two. Uh, Chelsea, you drop us back in third a little bit. We're on 53 points. We've played 26 matches, so we've got two in hand on City, uh, one in Liverpool. Remember when we used to be like plus three on everyone? And and because, you know, we went to the Club World Cup and League Cup finals and things like that, like other people have passed us. So uh, that's nice that we haven't played six more matches than everyone else at this point. And then Arsenal up to fourth on uh, 48 points. So they've got 25 matches played. So again, they assume they pick up the three points there. Uh, right on our heels united that's a big blow for them because they're 28 matches played they're down to 47 points so there's nothing they can do to kind of make up that gap they just have to hope everyone above them drops all the points which is you know probably not going to happen oh their, their strategy is to win the champions league right that's uh that's that's their path yeah. to getting champions league football next year good luck with that ralph <laughs> Uh, West Ham in sixth on 45 and Tottenham in seventh on 42. But again, they've only played 25 matches. So uh, is Conte still the manager? Or is he quit yet? Or are we still doing that game? Uh, qu- quitter in waiting. <laughs> Pay the man to leave. Uh, relegation zone Burnley in 18th. Again, you're welcome, everyone, on 21 points. Watford in 19th on 27 matches played in 19 points in North City bottom of the table only 17 points all season they've won four drawn five uh not a a good situation for them so uh we'll have to see uh it's just i i get i i'm like hard to draw hard conclusions on the table dan with just the massive amount of variance between matches played uh and who has who who they have yet to play and when they're gonna play them it's just it's kind of all over the point i mean you see us we have a match saturday don't play till thursday in the Premier League, but then we play Sunday and then midweek against Lille. So it's just kind of like we're rubber banding on some of these matches when they could have spread them out a little bit better. So it just, it adds a little layer of trickiness that, you know, I don't really want to touch too much right now on predictions. Look, points on the board are better than uh, games in hand. So that would be the one thing I would take away from the table is we are in third pretty comfortably at the moment even if arsenal is behind us with an extra game in hand 
and we've got a easier run of fixtures heading up to the end of the season. So I, I don't know. I feel pretty comfortable at the moment uh, as a regards in regards to how we feel. And you know, City are entering in a tough period. Liverpool are entering into a tough period. Reese James is back. Why not? Why not, Brandon? Busby? I'm not going to finish that sentence. But uh, the last two teams we really have to play are West Ham and uh man united the rest of the run in are pretty much mid table to lower which is great to see but anyways tweets thanks for joining us again you've been putting in the overtime appreciate the effort no it's been good fun i said it's nice to actually reflect on a good performance and actually also have a win because i feel every time i do a match with you again this might just be my mind changing the situation here but i feel we always lose or don't play particularly well so i'm obviously uh, i'm trying to change the narrative for myself here but yeah it was enjoyable uh yeah and obviously looking forward to recording some uh, some other bits and pieces this week as well yeah, well I mean, after the first 45 minutes, uh, that was definitely the MO. So glad they turned it around at halftime. So anyways, Dan, appreciate you as always. Everyone, go check it out. Um, interact on social media. The conversation's not done. The best place to go is uh, Discord through Patreon. But that's going to wrap us up for this week. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Get the blue flag flying high.